0: Welcome back, everybody. This is Todd Sylvester with the Todd Inspires Belief Cast. Thank you once again for tuning in. I really appreciate all your support. I love you guys so much. I wanna thank our sponsors, Siegfried & Jensen, Wasatch Recovery, Veracity Networks, and Hill Institute. You guys are fantastic. The belief and trust you have in me with uh, having your names attached to this belief cast means so much to me. And you have allowed to get this out to so many people. We are downloading like crazy. So many people have reached out and said how how much these belief casts have helped other, you know, help themselves and help their family members. And it's because of the amazing guests I've had on over the years. And today's going to be no different. Uh, today we're joined by Christian Smith. Um, I think he goes by Christian. We're going to find out here in a minute. But I work with Christian right now currently at Wasatch Recovery. Yep. He's in our marketing department. He goes out and he helps uh, find people who are struggling that need some help and get, uh, get, he gets them in here. He's got an amazing story. Um, I've known Christian's out, extended family f- for 30 years plus. Right? It's a small world. Yeah, such a small world and just this fantastic guy. You guys are gonna love his story. You're gonna just love his demeanor. You're gonna love the way he just carries himself and today's gonna be a great day. So do you go by Christian?
1: Uh, there's a story there. I grew up. My full name is Christian, okay. but I grew up going by Chris all my life. Okay. And then uh, 12 years ago, when life, when I decided maybe it's time to make a change, I decided I would change my name, go by my given name, oh, Christian. Interesting. Thinking maybe I would be a little more Christ-like in that. it wow. It doesn't work very much, but sometimes it does. <laughs> and the family still, you know, they're confused. You know. They don't call me Christian. It's Chris. It's Chris. And the only time growing up, the only time I ever heard Christian was when my mom was really pissed at When me. you're in trouble. Yeah, then like, I knew I was uh-oh. in trouble. Yeah. So, so. Well, and I
0: love that, though, in the sense that when you, and we're going to get to your story here in a minute, when you changed your life back doing the right thing, the best that you could, it was almost like a mindset, like saying, hey, you know, I'm changing everything and I'll even change my name back to what it needs to be as maybe a reminder. "This, I'm not that guy anymore that I was... Messing up, you know, in dr- you yeah. know drugs, all that stuff, jail, you name it. We'll we'll get there, but I love that actually. Thanks for sharing that. You're welcome. Very cool. Well, um, why don't we start, Christian, with uh, where you, where you grew up? Tell us about your family life, and let's get let's start from there so people can kind
1: of get to know you a little bit better. Okay. I am the fourth child of eight, and I think there's some the middle child thing. there, you know, I'm sure there's been a lot of studies on it. But yeah. anyway, never, never. I'm the fourth child of eight, and grew up here in Utah. Right, went to went to Cottonwood High School and the the elementary schools and junior highs that's a, that funneled into it. Um, socioeconomically, we were middle class. Um, dad was an insurance guy, owned an insurance agency, and um, we didn't have a lot, but we didn't go without anything of great significance right uh we our idea of a vacation was you know driving to laguna beach california and and that was a good time (laughs) and every once in a while we'd have to go to disneyland not a big disneyland guy (laughs) you're not (laughs) no no i went to disneyland many years ago and i was probably loaded the whole time and we hadn't left i had (laughs) two younger daughters at the time and uh, we hadn't left the parking lot and and got into the gate when um, daughter Sarah goes, "Dude, will you carry me, Dad?" And I just hated that. that you're that like, "Oh just, boy, yeah, here yeah, we go." Yeah.
0: Well, so you had, uh, you're the middle of eight. Eight. So how was that? How was that having that many siblings? And I mean, you know, describe we really, that.
1: We really got along well. Mm-hmm. Um, the oldest, Marcia Joe, I never met in this life. She died in a car accident oh, wow. uh, when she was two years old, and and that's kind of some of that is my upbringing was shaped based on my mom's ability to, to cope with that, uh, the loss of, uh, of a daughter, where mom was driving the car, yeah. and wow. uh, probably fell asleep is what, what, can, what they determine happened. And, and that kind of, that will, I, I can imagine that would affect anybody that goes through that experience. Right. So I think a lot of our upbringing was, mom was pretty protective, particularly of me, I think a lot of that protection and uh, came from loss, previous yeah. loss. Wow! But after martial, then I have two older brothers, and um, um, we're sports guys. We we think yeah. we're athletes, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> so so we play a lot of sport together. And it, it was not uh, it was oftentimes not playful (laughs) right (laughs) there were were bloody noses involved (laughs) busted ankles and broken arms and uh, but i uh, in the dynamics i was a little better athlete than brothers even though they were my older brother scott's four years older than i am and fad's two years older than i am and uh, in early teenage years i could hold my own against my older brothers and uh, that gave me some it's where i found a lot of my my value or self-worth was my ability to perform well, uh, in, in sport. Um, right. Played baseball. I uh, didn't like baseball as much as I loved basketball and was probably better at basketball okay. than, than baseball. Uh, played, uh, well, um, a couple of things growing up, went to elementary sure. school. And one, one thing that happened in elementary school that bugged me later on in life was, um, I think I uh, I was told I flunked kindergarten. Oh, Really? <laughs> I'm going <laughs> Who does that? Right? Who does that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What, you didn't share it properly? Yeah, or you didn't right. take in a good nap or whatever. <laughs> what I learned just a few years back uh, was that my birthday's in August and now it's fairly common that if your birthday's late in that yeah. that summer year, summer season, uh, you you can repeat or be held back a year before another year yeah the advantage of being held back though gave me in junior high and high school i'm a year older than everybody and have a little more advantage of competing in sport yeah right in junior high school um i was cut from the ninth grade basketball team and it pissed me off oh yeah um but the coach's (laughs) name was egan and uh, Robin Egan, and if you're listening, Robin, you know I I'll work through this resentment one day before I die. <laughs> but I vowed, going to high school, I would uh, yeah. I, I would never be cut again, and uh, mm-hmm. and I made the, the high school team. Uh, the other interesting thing about growing up being held back when I entered high school, I had my driver's license on day one. That makes for a guy oh, that has yeah. a lot of friends. oh yeah. And that was looking back that that was not. It was one of my weaknesses is wanting people to like me. I have a tough time liking me if others don't like me. Right. still struggle with that character defect now, but I understand it and, 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 and can talk my way through certain things. Yeah. But I had a lot of friends growing up uh, in high school. I, real
0: quick, I think a lot of people can relate with what you just said. You know, we we, we, we worry what other people think, and we want people to like us. Yeah. I think that's... I think we all, on some level, wrestle with that. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, recovery's really taught me, one of my mantras inside my brain is that uh, your opinion of me is none of my business. Right, (laughs) (laughs) And it sounds good when I say it out loud, but I still struggle internally going, no, it does, it really matters, man.
0: Well, you know, I've always thought this, I think it does, I think we all do matter on some level. It's like, hey, we shouldn't worry about what other people think, but we do. But I also think this, is when we're doing the right things, I mean, I think most people are going to probably view you in a good light. Yeah. At this, You know what I mean? I Most people, I'm sure, Christian, view you in a good light. Maybe not during that certain period we'll get to here in a minute. But, I mean, obviously, you know, what you do here is fantastic and the way you carry yourself is awesome. Yeah, thank you. Seriously. No, thank you. Yeah.
1: So growing up, adolescent, never, never... With the exception of smoking the butt end of a cigarette, which I learned later on was probably truly the butt end of a cigarette, (laughs) and sampling clear alcohol, which was probably vodka. Other than that, I mean, it was a tiny tiny sample. Other than that, I'd never never engaged in using mood and mind-altering substances. Uh, The only problem that kicked my butt in high school, the one that kicked my butt big, was um, I was horny. Can you say that on your show? Yeah, cool. yeah, and I always had a girlfriend, and it feeds right back into that people yeah. liking me. I yeah. can like me if you all like me. Yeah, so I always had a girlfriend, and I always was trying to push the envelope, um, yeah. with regard to intimacy. You know, and yeah, if you give me a kiss, maybe I can get a French kiss and just push yeah. that envelope. But um, in high school, grades were mediocre. I I wasn't that wasn't important to me to get high. High grades, mm-hmm. I did what I had to to yeah. get by. It was probably, well, I know exactly what it was, 2.8 when I graduated high school, yeah. and, uh, which I'm proud of because I didn't do any studying. So anyway, that sarcasm. Is, yeah. But I go, uh, <laughs> I, uh, in the junior year, things started to change a little bit in my life. In my junior year of, of high school, they got a new coach. And the new coach, basketball coach, came to me and a couple other guys and said, you're going to make the team, but just be advised, you're not going to play. And I'm going in a different direction. And so I want to be respectful to you guys. And I'm thinking, I don't want to, if I'm going to go play basketball in high school, I really don't want to go run wind sprints and ladders and all that other stuff to sit on the bench.
0: For sure, yeah.
1: So somebody, one of my buddies came up with the idea of, hey, why don't we try out for cheerleader? I'm thinking, well, that sounds fun. So So me and three other buddies, we tried out. There's, you didn't have to be very gymnastic on that, that <laughs> as a guy. We had four girls and four guys. That was the, the so a squad. It. We all four made it. <laughs> it was the funnest senior year ever. Really? That senior, it, was just, it was just fun for a guy that uh, had yeah. girly friends. I had a girlfriend in sure. every high school. Sorry, Kelly, but my wife's Kelly. Right. She already knows this. She knows so, this, yeah. 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 And uh, so then after high school... Oh, one thing that comes up. It would come up later on that during that high school cheerleading experience, I broke my back. That will come into play a few years down the road, but okay. just be advised that sure. that uh, doing some of the stunts that we would do, it appears that I I fractured my my back L5 S1 area. Oh, wow. And um, Okay. So I graduate high school, I'm a member active member of the the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and the right thing for a uh, guy graduating high school to do at that time in 1979 was go on a mission. Yeah, And so I, well, I better go on a mission. My mom and dad want me to go on a mission and it seems to be the right thing. So I went and served two years in South Africa in 1979. That was right during wow, the, yeah. the apex of, of apartheid. Uh, the bad thing for me is I didn't learn to adult during that time, meaning I never made a bed. I never washed any dishes, never yeah. fixed any food. Uh, ironed any clothes, that we all, we had servants that would do that for us. Oh, really? Okay. And so that was very, that was not good for just learning how to adult. Right, yeah. Um, uh, Writing, during that time, I was writing a girl. I was writing a couple of girls. Uh, Again, Kelly already knows this. And uh, (laughs) I get home from that mission, and um, I'm horny. The remedy for a returned missionary who has that is to get married. Hurry and get married, right? (laughs) yeah, so Kelly and I, uh, I was engaged to be married seven days after I got home from my mission.
0: Wow. <laughs> that's kind of that, messed up. That is
1: fast. Yeah. And, and we married, and uh, Kelly and I married in um, whenever, two, let's see, shoot, that's terrible, 80, 82. 82. February of 82, okay. coming up on 40 years here in a few wow, months. Wow, congrats. Yeah. And that kind of takes me childhood years. close, wow. close siblings to this day, we were close growing up. We're close now. My younger siblings, I didn't know really well um, because I was so much, there was such a gap there. But but, uh, to this day, they're some of my best friends. Yeah. And uh, that's kind of the family life. We went to, uh, I brought up the the mission thing. We were raised LDS and and that was the foundation of my value system or belief system Mm -hmm. is that there is a God uh, Christ is, is the, the, the center point of my belief system. Yeah. And, um, we, we were raised disciplinary wise. You, you know, we didn't raise our voice in our house. That was, that was never good. You can get kicked out of a basketball game or teed up or whatever, right? But that's okay. But not in the house. Don't, Don't raise our bring voice. it home. Right. So, <laughs> uh, and I got spanked a few times growing up. I bring that up because uh, there was a level of, of what I'll, and I don't mean to offend those that really have severe trauma, but there was a level of trauma associated with the way we were disciplined. You know, when dad would spank me and he didn't do it very often, but there was a message being sent in my brain. The story in my head was, you know, you don't love me now. It wasn't Mm -hmm. that you did something wrong. Okay. Uh, We're trying to correct the behavior. It was, I don't love you right now and put that, in my head with all the other crazy thoughts of I can't love me if you don't love me. Now my own mom and dad don't love me. It, it, it it was a foundation for really healthy shame. (laughs) Boy.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Very healthy shame. And I think again, our listeners that are hearing this can relate with that on a lot of levels. You know, I think, you know, I've been in this business for 30 plus years myself. I think the number one belief system I see in this is that they don't believe in themselves or I'm not good enough or so you know my, and it stems from family didn't love me, you know my my wife didn't love me or my you know whatever it would wherever it comes from, but it's pretty common. Yeah, you know feeling that way.
1: And we've only really uncovered that in my own personal belief system over the last twelve years of yeah. of a journey of recovery. Yeah. And we've we do hard now not to, um, perpetuate that type of thinking yeah, for sure uh, within my kids and my grandkids. That's oh. awesome.
0: Well. You know, you mentioned that, you know, growing up, you didn't really even touch drugs or alcohol or anything like that. And I mean, but you do have a story around that. And you've been an addict um, in your life, and it's caused you go down a path that you probably never dreamed of going down. So let's, let's talk about that. Uh, you know, I, I think our listeners need to know, I mean, obviously, you're raised in a good way. You, you know, you, I know you guys weren't perfect by any stretch. But Tell us what happened and why you went down this road, and what happened that kind of led you to that.
1: The, I guess that really that journey began when, uh, when shortly after Kelly and, Kelly and I married. So I already talked a little bit about our communication style growing up was very very passive. Uh, the mm-hmm. clinicians would call it passive, or close to passive aggressive because. We speak fluent sarcasm Mm -hmm. and, uh, and that's typically therapists experts (laughs) don't, you know, that's not a healthy form of communication. Um, and, and I understand that because truly I speak sarcasm, our family does, but really if you look at that, there's always a victim. When somebody throws out sarcasm, there really is always a victim. And yeah. if my brother Scott's listening, he's just nodding his head. See, I've told you that, brother. I've telling you <laughs> that for years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or Chris Groves, another counselor, yeah. you know. Yeah, I've yeah. told you that for years. Yeah. But um, so we didn't, we didn't communicate very assertively and, and never ag- aggressive. You know, we rarely were raising our voice. But I married a gal who came from an upbringing, also large family. I think she's the oldest of seven um, their former style of communication was what you experts would call very assertive. Mm. I called it yelling, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but it did, you know, so Kelly and I marry, yeah. I do something dumb, which is just my natural yeah. which, disposition most yeah. of the time. <laughs> and Kelly would communicate like she was brought up communicating very assertively. And to me, it's, it's, it sounded like she was yelling at me. What were you thinking of? What the heck yeah. did you do that for? Yeah. And when those experiences would happen, there was something inside me that just went, oh, I couldn't breathe. I I don't care how big you are. Um, let's go play. If we're playing basketball or football or whatever it is, let's go. Yeah. But this tiny little 90 pound, soaking wet blonde wife of mine would come at me verbally a little bit of what are you thinking? What were you doing? Yeah. Uh, with judgment. And I wanted to crawl under a table. Mm-hmm. I wanted to hide. I didn't know how yeah. to cope with that. Yeah, um, And and make sure everybody here in this, our families did the best we could. For my sure. issues had nothing to do with my mom and dad's parenting skills. They did the yeah. best they could with what they had. So I'm not yeah. pointing fingers... I'm really just trying to say this is how it all came together. Yeah. So Kelly and I mar- married. She comes at me the way she's been taught, which I think is a healthier way to communicate than the way I was brought up mm-hmm. in this very passive yeah um, manner. 3 years after we're married, I'm in a motorcycle accident. Now, mm. many people listening to this will know the rest of the next 27 years.
0: Yeah, wow.
1: There I'm taken by ambulance to St. Mark's Hospital. Uh, broken leg, a bunch of road rash, and um sent home the next day with a bottle of uh, Percodan. And I remember the bottle was a large bottle. And on the label, it said, take one or two pills as needed for pain. So sometime quickly in this recovery process, Mm -hmm. my brain figured something out that I could take one or two of those pills and the physical pain, the road rash, the broken leg, that would go away. But somehow it figured out if I took three or four not only would that pain go away kelly could come at me all she wanted and it didn't hurt anymore and i would heal from that motorcycle accident and uh, and not and, and be fine for a minute yeah. but you can't play mormon basketball without finding yourself in the emergency room. <laughs> yeah, the, the brawl that starts with a prayer. It does. It starts with <laughs> <It's> a prayer. <laughs> it's like, let's all pray everyone has, let's yeah. have a good time and then it's yeah. like a brawl. It's crazy to me. I look It is back, the weirdest thing, right? Is. I look back and go, what were we thinking? There were <laughs> NBA scouts sitting on the stage in that chapel third thing. I mean, what the heck was I thinking about, man? Yeah. But uh, <laughs> so what happened uh, each time I would get injured, you know, mm-hmm. uh, keep in mind, Kelly has worked for Intermountain Healthcare for thirty-five years, and at this time, she's working in the emergency room at, at Cottonwood. They love Kelly, right? So when I went in there, um, they were treating me like gold and like right. family. Sure, sure. You know what do you? You know, yeah. you know It's not broke, Christian. It's just a sprain. But what do you do for pain? What do you take for pain? Anything special? And I would deliberately mispronounce the uh, the med that was working best for me. Uh, I would say Laura, Laura something. LorTab? Yeah, there is no A in it, right? It's LorTab. And then I would go, Yeah, that's it. That's it. Why would you do that? I didn't want I didn't want people to think I was drug seeking. Oh okay. It so it was your to, way to yeah, say, was, hey, I already yeah, know the names yeah, of these things, yeah. so you're definitely not drug seeking. Yeah. Okay. So Kelly and I have talked about how many years went by from the motorcycle accident until I was using opiates twenty four seven. And we figure somewhere around seven or eight years. Uh, oh, okay. Be, be, it got Jeez. to the point where uh, I had figured out a coping mechanism. I didn't even know how no, none of us knew where, what road we were down and a long ways down it. So, cause I'm functioning at that time professionally. When I finished college at the U, I'm working now in the medical device arena, representing mechanical heart valves yeah. and cardiovascular grafts. I'm in the operating room all the time. We're, we're making a good living. Um, Kelly's in the emergency room at Cottonwood making a good living. and yeah, But I found myself, um, just the window between using was shortening to yeah. I was using 24-7 because I didn't want wow. withdrawals. Withdrawals were just horrific for me. Yeah, hated
0: them. And we hear this a lot, right? Where it's like, I want to come off of these or stop doing them, but man, when I start feeling that sickness,
1: no way. Yeah. 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 The uh, Keeps that, you stuck. That was before Subutex or Suboxone was around. Mm-hmm. So it was... I think there were some methadone clinics back in the day, but other than mm. that, it was kind of white knucklet. Yeah. Now let me pause for a second. And during that time period to um, probably five, six years into it, I'm working in the medical device arena and I'm, I'm going to a training seminar in Kansas city, Kansas. where was, that was my first experience drinking alcohol. Mm. So I, I'm taking pain pills semi-regularly. And functioning very high. I'm, right. I'm not missing a beat. And Working it, and everything's good. All yeah. That,
0: yeah, everything's going
1: good. Yeah. My first experience drinking alcohol, we went to that training, announced who we were and where we were from. That first night, we get with everybody that's at the training seminar. There's probably a dozen of us. And uh, they said, hey, uh, you said you're from Salt Lake City. Are you Mormon? And uh, And I quickly said, yes, I am. And then added, but I'm not very active. Which was a lie. That was my belief system. I would be, by definition an active member of that organization at that time but it takes me back right back to all that I don't want you not to like me and don't judge me Uh, so I will okay I will fib a little bit soften uh, it a little bit I'm not like this diehard I'm yeah yeah. I'm not this fuddy-duddy guy I'm a fun guy yeah so after dinner many of them went over to the little piano bar and uh, I decided I didn't want to go to my room I don't be alone there so I went over and Quickly into that, they said, "Hey, why don't you try this drink?" And I, okay, you know, whatever, sure. Yeah. And they passed me over and bought me a. a it was called Bartles and James Wine Cooler. Bartles and James, yeah. You got to be a little older. Yeah, to, that's to, old school <laughs> stuff. Yeah, <laughs> but I remember drinking that and going, "Holy cow, this tastes like soda pop." Mm-hmm. They kept buying, I kept drinking, and um, my next memory was waking up in the hallway of that hotel outside the door of the room I was staying. Mm. So my first experience drinking alcohol, I, I drank alcoholically. I passed out. Uh, um there is a side story that we'll tell another day uh, on that uh, that night, but uh, that was my first experience and that would be repeated time and time again for the next 20 plus years. So, I uh, I get I get back Salt Lake. Oh, I'll tell you the story real quick. I'll make it quick. Okay. That night, um, while I'm under the influence of alcohol for the first time, I'm I'm pretty friendly, and there mm-hmm. was a piano bar player there, and she was cute, and so uh, I was flirting, and they were, the people I was with were going, hey, this is cool. We got this little Mormon guy, and let's just have yeah. some fun, and um, nothing. Nothing. Intimately was inappropriate that night. It was inappropriate for me to flirt. Right. Um, and I would violate that value. Um, over the next 20 years, I'd violate that value, uh, that value of being faithful to my wife. But I didn't on that night. But the funny story that we can chuckle at now, Kelly and I, is I, I get home f- from that trip. And a week or so after I'm home, I walk home and my wife's sitting at the kitchen table She's got her arms crossed and her legs, her arms folded and her legs crossed. And one of the legs is just Just moving, just up and down, up and down, which is the sign for anybody that's married of, oh, crap. You're in trouble. There's some crap that's gone (laughs) down. (laughs) Put on your seatbelt because here we go. Yeah. So uh, Kelly calls, and I'm I'm racking my brain, you know, with the smile (laughs) on my face. What's she doing that for? I don't think I've done anything. And she says to me, do you have anything you want to tell me? I said, no, I don't have anything. You sure? No, no, I'm good. Well, can you explain? And she slides across the kitchen table this envelope from the mail. Can you explain this? I said, sure. You know, I can explain that. I have no idea what's in it. But so I, 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 you know, I open it up and there is a black and white, five by seven black and white picture of a scantily clad piano bar player with the handwritten caption, thanks for the wonderful night. Love, Tish.
0: Who does what that? Oh my gosh. That was,
1: who does it I don't remember any any time giving her my information but I surely clearly did and again I just speak to that as my first experience wow. with alcohol yeah. um, it, it it just didn't work for me and it never yeah. did I would pick up a DUI in 2001 and um, it I just it, it just alcohol I'm allergic to it yeah so life's going on and back Working in the uh, OR, um, taking more and more pain pills. Um, then I uncover back pain that was radiated down my left leg. Going to the specialist and they uncover a what was a fractured back with spondylolis- spondylolisthesis, degenerative disc disease and oh, stuff wow. on the L5-S1. And um, the alternatives at that time were surgery which I immediately dismissed like, because I I'd, want to do that I'd had right. guys that had yeah. that surgery yeah, that's and it got not, worse. Yeah, and the other one was just pain management, and the way they pain they managed the pain was Oxycontin, Oxycontin oh boy. <laughs> fentanyl suckers. I mean, it was just insane as I look back. Um, yeah, I was taking, I was taking oxycotton. I was taking Oxycodone for breakthrough pain, and I was taking fentanyl suckers and fentanyl patches, Jeez. and. Um, so for me at the time, you know, this is nirvana. Yeah, you like feel great. Yeah. It's wonderful. I'm, I'm Best awesome. thing ever. During that time, we we had four children born. The oldest is Adam. Um, his brother, Chad, they're somewhere around the age 36, 34. I'm not a very good dad for that. <laughs> I can tell you the ages. We all struggle
0: with the ages, trust me. <laughs> I got four kids myself. And I'm yeah. like,
1: okay, I think they're this age. Yeah. So uh, in 2000, let's see. 2001. uh, 2001. I picked up the DUI. Adam, our oldest, would have been teenager because I remember Kelly. Now things are getting out of control a little bit, and Kelly's getting concerned. Um, I I know Adam was a teenager in 2001 because when I called Kelly from the jail, can you come and pick me up? By the way, will you not? It was my first legal experience. Would you not bring any of the kids? You know, please. Yeah. She deliberately brought the oldest, thinking that would have an impact. It did It did have an impact, um, but we didn't know the stress level just increased. Yeah, and right. with that increased stress level, I self-medicated more. Mm. It, uh, I felt terrible. So Adam's now 14, 15 at that time, and by the time he's 19, he goes on a mission, and I'm in full-blown drinking, and I'm, I'm drugging. I can't get my prescriptions to last 30 days. So I can get them to last two weeks and now I'm buying stuff off the street Um, and I'm going through a lot of money. Um, Also during that time period, I would have struggled with gambling. Um, I'm not a good gambler because I get inebriated. And uh, I remember once I won a big pot playing Texas Hold'em and and I went home and showed everybody all this money. It was a lot of money, uh, $25,000. And I remember my mom said to me, you know, and I said, look at this, mom. I'm a good gambler, Look she goes, me. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm thinking, what do you mean you're sorry? I'm sorry that you won that pot. Well, I thought she was an idiot, but now I know she knew exactly w- yeah. what could happen and what did happen. Oh, wow. Was that would just, I'd chase that and chase that and lose many, many times that money in, in losses. And during that time, now we're financially, it's being tough with Kelly and... Um, it's putting a financial strain on the on yeah. your guys' family. Yeah. So in 2006, oh, let me back up. In 2004, I had surgery for the back and uh, it fixed it. They put a uh, cage, they they screwed, fused, and caged L5-S1. And this stems back from when you
0: uh, it broke your back as a cheerleader? Charter, yeah. Okay.
1: I remember going into that surgery, I had two fears. Y- you know, one was, uh, what if it got worse? Mm-hmm. I had had friends who had had similar surgeries yeah. that it got worse. And my other big fear was, uh, you know, what if it got better? Mm. Then what do I do? Yeah, how do I, how do I manage and medicate this pain into my heart and in my head? Yeah. So I remember that night, uh, after the surgery in the hospital, the pain was different. It was, wasn't the pain that radiated down the left leg. It was left leg. It was a pain that was just from, from medical experts beating the crud out of my low back. And, uh, yeah. that pain's gone away from that, that night, I, that pain's gone away, but the pain in my heart and in my mind was still there. And so I picked up gambling. I, I was engaged in pornography and the behaviors associated with it. And I'm losing money and not really working as much anymore. And yeah. Kelly comes to me in 2006 and says, uh, you know, I don't want to live with you anymore. Mm. You got to go. And, uh, my first, the, my first thought, which was a lie, was that's fine. I didn't want to be with you anyways. Which was just looking back was well, it was your just, way to protect the hurt and the pain of what you just heard, right? Exactly what it was. Yeah. Wow. And uh, so I left there. The only place I could go stay, family, they loved me. I knew they loved me, but they were, they were exhausted. You know. I, yeah. I mean, but the only place I could go stay was my mom and dad had a basement apartment in their house in North Salt Lake. They were out of the country on a mission for their church, and uh, that neighborhood was the worst neighborhood on the planet in my mind. For me at the time, mm. the neighbor to the east was a guy named Robert D. Hells. and the neighbor to the west was a guy named David Bednar. There's no fences between these houses, right? <laughs> <laughs> so that's a rough neighborhood. Oh yeah, it was <laughs> just because I'm just filled with shame, and <laughs> yeah. it was just yeah, I didn't yeah. need that and during that time within a few days i'm introduced by by a drug friend if you will uh, to a new drug within a few days of me leaving kelly our house in sandy the drug was crack mm. and i remember going holy cow you know where has this been yeah. all my life everything went away when i was on that pipe looking back you know that was accurate for the time yeah. everything went away wow. no car no family whatsoever, no money, everything went away. And so to fund the, the crack cocaine habit, I was stealing stuff from my family, um, pawning it. Mom had a, a large collection of what I think is called Yardro. Yardro, Yardro. Yeah, the, yeah. Um, the porcelain. My mother-in-law has a bunch of those, yeah. And the pawn shop loved them. And so I'm I'm pawning those to fund this cocaine habit Drinking a little bit, haven't had pain pills since. Out of the house you were staying in. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And my siblings got wind of it, and uh, said we're not doing this anymore. And so they said you can't stay here. And now I'm, I'm homeless for a minute. One day I'm down at Pioneer Park, which is where I would spend my time trying to figure out how to get my fix, and I see two North Salt Lake police drive up there, and I'm thinking, ah. Eh. They're out of their jurisdiction, and I just yeah. came from North Salt Lake, and sure enough, I see these two police officers scanning the park, and eventually find me, and, and identified me as Christian Smith, and the long story made short there is I'd spend the next, the next year and a half in jail, and um, I remember when I, I was in there, I have a lot of jail experiences that I can chuckle at now, but... One of them is they should give you a set of rules when you've never been to jail because I got myself in trouble by saying some words that weren't appropriate for jail. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. But I'm in there and I'm going to court. I got my main court hearing, 43 days into jail. And all the expert attorneys inside the jail, did you catch that? They're inmates, expert attorneys inside the jail. They're telling me, you're going to get out. I don't have any history other than this. Of legal stuff. You're getting out. You're getting out. Yeah. So I remember that morning I went to court, and as I walked into the courtroom, all my siblings were in the courtroom, and Kelly was in the courtroom, my wife. And I'm going, this is awesome. Yeah, they're here to support me. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, the judge talks. I had a court-appointed attorney, and after a few minutes, the judge says, I'm ready to sentence you. And he says, I sentence you to 365 days in the Davis County Jail order me to a dro- drug program I turn to the attorney and say we don't want to do this the attorney goes dude it's done no this is it <laughs> so I fired him right there and said your honor and I'm shackled you have to you, you have to appreciate this you have to have been there Yeah, I bet. I'm shackled. Raise my hand to the, the, your honor, this is not right. Yeah, that's exactly. You can't see what he's doing now, but imagine yeah. your hand shackled and you're trying to reach to Red the sky. Pole, it goes yeah. about six inches above <laughs> your waist. So I said, your honor, this is not right. I'm doing much, much better now. And if you don't believe me, ask my family. And I'll never forget his words. Uh, John Mehmet, who I would just give a hug if I ever saw him. Yeah. He said, Mr. Smith, I've heard enough from your family. And uh, dropped the gavel and uh, I'd spend the next year and a half on a year sentence in jail. And uh, I'll never wow. forget those words. I've heard enough from your family. Turns out they had written letters to the judge. The gist of the letters were, we love our brother. We just don't know how to help him. And if you give those letters to a judge, a judge like John Mamet will say, I'll help you. Yeah. And he did everything he could. While in jail, I wouldn't wish that experience on anybody. Yeah. I wouldn't trade mine for the world because it's, yeah. it's where I began the, the healing. Oh, I'd still relapse after jail, and you'll hear that in a minute, but on one one catalytic event that I had in jail was uh, I'm pissed at God, pissed at my family, pissed yeah. at everybody. I'm pissed at me. Yeah. Right? I'm angry at everybody. Sure. And it would start with me. Yeah. And one... Uh, one guy that was there, a guy named Jeff Carter, uh, finishing out a, a prison sentence, we, we would talk every once in a while. And we'd start talking about God and stuff. And we would play chess in the morning uh, in jail for an old guy who was 48 at the time. Yeah, The mornings were great Yeah, because it was quiet. After yeah. breakfast or tray pass, most of the inmates went back to bed. Yeah, I'm an old guy. I don't sleep on two inch (laughs) foam pads. Exactly. You're like, no, I'm not going back in there. (laughs) So um, one day we're playing chess and we're starting to talk about God a little bit and we're interrupted by a guy from Honduras who said, uh, uh, you know, what's all this thing you guys are talking about, about God and this Jesus thing all the time. And I was spiritually bankrupt so much so that that my response to him was. Hey, Jonathan, we're playing chess walk on buddy <laughs> the guy playing chess with jeff carter says hey here's a book why don't you read this book and if you have any questions feel free to come back and i yeah. thought jeff was genius yeah it was the book of mormon mm-hmm. uh any lds folk will know that and i'm thinking this is great we'll never see this guy again <laughs> i was wrong we would see him every morning he would interrupt our chess game and i was
0: just mad. Yeah, you're like, this is my time. Yeah.
1: Right? But I started to come out of this this spiritual bankruptcy during that time. And we would talk about principles of Christianity and whatnot. And we're doing this. And, and keep in mind, at that time, I'm in Salt Lake County, ADC. But I, I know every day I'm in ADC. The reason it was a year and a half on a year sentence is I'm waiting to be transferred from Salt Lake County to Davis County, where I have to do the full year. Mm. So every night I would go to to bed and say to these guys probably won't see you again they're gonna probably roll me up only to wake up for almost six months to Groundhog Day and uh, so as we're doing this and we're we're teaching John about Christianity and whatnot and we're running out of things to teach him and one night Jeff and I decide you know what do we we didn't know what to teach him and so somehow we come up with the idea of this thing called the atonement and I remember thinking I got this. yeah, I know everything there is to know about the atonement. <laughs>
0: right. It's my wheelhouse here.
1: So I went to my <laughs> cell and that night and prepared kind of a, a presentation on the atonement. and the next morning would be the first Catholic event that would change my life. And it went like this. started with telling Jonathan about uh, the belief that we had that we lived before we came and uh, talked about the need for a savior and talked about the birth of Christ. And a little bit of his life and the miracles he was involved in. And culminating it with <clears throat> with his betrayal mm-hmm. from a friend, the events in Gethsemane, and him being betrayed by a friend, and ultimately um ultimately him losing his his life on the on the cross. Yeah. And I thought it was good stuff. And it was yeah, you know, an hour into it. I'm finished and Jonathan leans over the table, puts his hands on mine, on this cold metal table inside that jail and looks me in the eyes and says, why? Why did this Jesus do these things? And my first thought was, are, are you an idiot? I spent the last hour plus telling you. you. Yeah. And it was then that, that uh, I had this distinct thought placed in my mind it was almost as if my grandfather had his sh- arms on my shoulders, and he might have, and he said to me, Christian, the uh, the question this man asks you, you don't know the answer. You think mm-hmm. you do, Yeah. but you really don't know the answer, wow. and until you can find out and truly believe the answer, life's going to be tough for you. So I listened for a minute what was told in my heart and in my mind, and I... I looked back at Jonathan and said, Jonathan, he did this because he loves me. A liar, a cheat, a thief, an addict, an alcoholic. And if I would look to just change my ways, this could all be forgotten. I never saw Jonathan again. That night I was rolled up and transfer to Davis County. Wow. And I don't think that's coincidental. Yeah. It be, it was the foundation for some change. I finished the program in, at Davis County and get out, go back home to Kelly. She starts visiting early on and uh, go back home where now I Kelly and my two younger daughters were there. And um, life was good for a few weeks. <laughs> but I never dealt with during, in that jail in that program, I never dealt with what was going on in my heart and my mind, yeah. my thought processes, yeah. my thinking years. I never dealt with the, uh, the shame that I, I was caught up in inside my mind. And so when Kelly's expectation of getting a job and some stress crept up, my brain reverted to, you know, this stress could kill you, yeah. so maybe we got to go manage it.
0: Mm. And the
1: idea of managing it was back to crack cocaine what a, what a thinking air right yeah. jeez yeah and so kelly quickly figured out i'd relapsed and she said she can't stay here uh, that was a, that was her boundary Wow. and uh, so now i'm homeless and it was in november december and it was cold cold yeah and i'm 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 down at the homeless shelter and down in the pioneer park area and i'm not in a good place the only thing i had was an insurance policy. That was through Kelly's employment. I've been to treatment. I've been to a couple of outpatient yeah. centers yeah. Um, prior to this, but I went because Kelly wanted me to go and the kids right. and my my family, mom and dad. Yeah. But at this moment, I remember downtown, it's cold, and the only thing I got, I called Kelly and say, would, and she didn't take very many of my calls, but she took one, and would you, would you help me get in a treatment program? She said, I won't. But if you'd like to get a treatment program, I wish you wish you luck and uh, so putting it all on you. Yeah. You want it then prove it. And so for the first time, Todd, I wanted it bad. I didn't it wasn't working anymore. And I made the phone calls. I picked up the phone and found a place that was a little cottonwood and went to treatment for 83 days of residential and during that time i'm the, i love residential treatment i was the poster boy for residential treatment right. it was fun yeah. sure i learned a lot during that time we brought mm-hmm. kelly in and three of my four kids came in and we processed and we began to foundation a, a foundation to to build on for re- future recovery and, and relationships and i get out of that program and i'm happy Kel- i go home and kelly has a list on a napkin, handwritten list on a napkin of four deal breakers. You can come home, but there are four deal breakers. Here's, okay. Three of the four, I think, are appropriate. They all are, but I'm making yeah. fun of one of them. Uh, you got to get a job. Well, well, first was you can't use. That's fair. Fair. Second was you got to get a job. That's fair. Fair. Third one was uh, you got to get your driver's license reinstated, which is fair because I'm on probation driving yeah. without one. Absolutely. That's yeah. problematic. Yeah. But the fourth reason. I chuckle at. We still have the napkin. You do? Uh, Yeah, we still have the napkin. (laughs) The fourth reason was, you got to go to church. (laughs) Now, my LDS friends that might be listening to this, I am active LDS, so please forgive me if this offends you. Put it (laughs) in a step four, whatever you got to do. Because I remember raising my arms to the sky and go, oh, hell yes, thank you. If only I'd have thought about this years ago, all this shit never would have happened, you know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Total sarcasm. <laughs> oh my gosh. And so as, <laughs> as as fate would have it, you know, six days in after I'm in rehab, I I uh, go to get my driver's license reinstated. I had a guy offer me a job. A uh, good friend, Carl Tobler, offered offer me a job. But I had to have a driver's license. So go down to the driver's license DMV with 40 bucks because that's what we figured it would cost to reinstate it. <laughs> right. And uh, go to the clerk, fill out the paperwork. She says, Mr. Smith, I don't need your 40 bucks. I need you, however, to go to the courthouse and have them sign off on this privilege of driving something mm-hmm. certificate thing. Yeah. And, and I smiled. <clears throat> I smiled and said, okay. But I wasn't smiling on the inside. Yeah. <laughs> because the last time I'd gone to, A courtroom, they'd kept me for a year and a half, so my stress just it just skyrocketed. I get in the I get in the car, and uh, the brain of monkeys in my head they started to call a meeting, and uh, (laughs) they were saying, you know, you're pretty stressed. You got forty bucks, and while that's going on in the parking lot of Hill DMV, I had a BlackBerry or Blueberry, I forget what that phone was called. BlackBerry. BlackBerry. One yeah. day I'll remember that blackberry blueberry it's all the same and it rings <laughs> and it's Kelly and she says how are you doing and again I'm not I'm stressed to the yeah, guild right but I lie and smile and so I'm fine just got to go to the court and get this just played it off my ego is just kick my pride is just yeah, killing me right so um, hung up with her the committee of monkeys held a vote do we go to the courtroom now or do we go to Pioneer Park now and spend the 40 bucks and then to the courtroom or we voted, I'm sure it was unanimous, that I end up down at Pioneer Park. Mm. While I'm getting the the cocaine, the crack, while I'm doing a deal in my car, the phone rings again. I answer it this time, and, and you've heard a little bit of this experience. Yeah. This is my uh, good friend and, at the time, therapist from treatment, Jason Webb. And I remember just, you know, oh, I'm, I'm good, Webb, I'm fine. I mean, you had to have been there to appreciate this. Hold on just a second, Jason. Yeah, do you have $40 worth of white? Yeah. No, I'm doing good, Webb. 40 sort of thing. And so that turned into wow. 10 days. I was gone 10 days. Sold everything I had to, to fund it, including the car I was driving, which is my daughter Sarah's car. Oh my gosh. And it lasted 10 days. Um, you know, you heard that part where on that, yeah. the end of the 10 days, I used the, the phone I was staying crashing at because I'd sold that BlackBerry Yeah. and checked my voicemail and a uh, lot of voicemail and, and Jason Webb had left a couple, my friend and counselor. First couple were, I'm concerned about you, call me. It crescendo to, dude, this is ridiculous. That's about as angry as he can get, by the way. Yeah. And then the last message was the, probably the final catalog event I needed to hear. And you've heard that before. That uh, last message was, Christian. It's Jason. Have I told you I love you lately? No judgment. Just unadulterated. Yeah. I'm concerned about you and I love you. Gave me the courage to pick up the phone and call Jason and say I'm not in a good place. I'll never forget that day because it is the last time I've ever ingested any mood or mind-altering substances. That was uh, February, February 4th, 2010. Wow. And something happened there in my mind. I I realized it never worked. It never, ever, ever worked for me. That was supposed to be $40 in a couple of hours. And it turned into 10 days. And selling everything that didn't belong to me again. Again, going right back to it. So I made a commitment, I'm not picking up. Went back to treatment for 30 days, did the outpatient. Did sober living as a 48, 49 year old guy and uh, was brutally difficult, was awesome, looking back. <laughs> you know how tough it is for a 49-year-old to ride a bike or to take the bus? Oh, dude. Um, it'll humble you. Yeah. and <laughs> s- s- Yeah.
0: I just picture you riding a bike on the street. You know? <laughs> I had a friend who got a he got a couple DUIs and anyway, lost his license, this and that. Older guy, you know, he's got a family, kids, the whole night. And he's got to ride his bike to work. And I'm talking, it wasn't just a little jaunt. He had to go. And he literally was getting on the freeway. And he gets a ticket because you can't ride a bike. The ironic thing, he gets a ticket on the freeway. So I was. that's why I started to chuckle. I was picturing you getting pulled over on your bike. <laughs> hey, I'm doing the right thing here. I'm just riding my bike. Well, you're not supposed to be on the freeway. <laughs> uh, wow. Why do you think those words hit you so hard in that moment? I love you. Why was that so profound for you did you i mean was it like you didn't feel like
1: you were even loved i mean what yeah. what was it i i think a lot of it is what you just said i i i, I rarely felt lovable i felt well, let me okay i think i felt lovable and a lot of this is is my misunderstanding of religion i was brought up to to kind of Nobody ever said it, but it was implied or what I, the message mm-hmm. I heard was from the God of my understanding at the time was I will love you, Christian, as long as you're doing all the right things all the time. Uh, yeah. If you're not, I can't love you. It took me right back to that, that nine year old boy being yeah. disciplined by his dad. I don't love you now, son. Yeah. I'm going to have to do this because I don't love you. Totally wrong. I mean, that's just not you're right. what it is. And yeah. And it would be a couple of years before I really figured things out with God. I fired the God I knew as a boy. Um, that God was that disciplinarian, that spanker. Yeah. yeah. I fired him. And That umpire that's going to strike one, one yeah. more, and you're in trouble, yeah. buddy. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a great analogy the umpire. Yeah. That's yeah. three strikes, Christian. You're out, buddy. You're done. And there is no coming back, pal. Wow. And so part of that was when Jason said, you know, I, have I told you I love you? I needed to feel that I could be loved. Yeah. And uh, was humble enough at that point to, to really drop my pride and say, I'll do anything. Prior to that, I wouldn't have gone to sober living. I'm 48 years old. Are you out of your freaking mind? Right. But now yeah. I'll do whatever you say, because my way was not working. And so there was, there was two fronts. There was the front of the mental health experts, the thinking errors, the, the, the poor communication. That was going on and helping me figure that out. While another front was being fought on this understanding between the difference between religion and spirituality. Yeah. One of the events that was powerful to me was when I said to my dad, hey, uh, I'm not sure I'm going to go back to this Mormon thing. And uh, I figured I was in for a fight with dad. Yeah. Um, and instead he goes, hey, son, I don't care if you ever go back to a church building. I'm not concerned about that at all. Giving me license and freedom to, wait a minute, you're still going to be my dad if, yeah. if I choose not to go down that road? Mm-hmm. He went on and say, what I really care about is that you have a relationship with deity. And all yeah. of a sudden I started figuring out, wait a minute, I don't have to go to a church building yeah. to find spirituality. Well, let me explore that. You know, I'm in on that. And yeah. and uh, I still go to a church building. I'm active. But I don't find my spirituality inside that building most of the time. Yeah, I find it uh, in the quiet moments of the morning. Yeah, uh, Looking in the eyes of young grandchildren who know nothing but love. Isn't that true? Uh, Mountains, where, where the heavens can say, you know, hey, Christian, I know who you are, I know the pain you're going through, and you matter to me. Wow, I love that.
0: That's amazing.
1: Since that time, uh, you heard me say in the beginning, Kelly and I will celebrate 40 years of marriage in February. Um, We're very lucky. I'm very blessed. You know, the gifts of changing, the gifts of, of looking to do something different. Yeah. We call it recovery. I, I kind of call it change. Yeah. The gifts of change are that uh, Kelly and I are better now than we've ever been in our relationship and continue to get better. We're more open with one another and honest, yeah. less judgmental. Yeah. We communicate much healthier. Yeah. Uh, and it's with simple stuff like you all experts would give me communication tools and uh, I started to use them. For example, Kelly would say, you know, Kelly's this red personality. She is in your face and I'm (laughs) not, I'm yellow, unless we're playing sport, then I'll be in your face. Yeah. Yeah. But she would say something and I would go, whoa. Before I would internalize that and start having stories in my head like, what is she doing now? I would say to her, Kelly, hey, stop. Did you deliberately mean to hurt my feelings with what you just said? And she would pause, and we do this regularly. Oh no, I, uh, I don't know what you heard me say, but oh no, I didn't try to hurt your feelings deliberately. or Then we can get to the crutch yeah. of the matter and yeah. and and talk about issues. I don't believe there's a perfect marriage. I don't think For that sure. exists. Yeah, uh, we're better than we ever have been. Uh, That's the great. children, um, our children are wonderful they have forgiven their dad for a lot of hurt and uh, I dare say all four of them would, would be in the class of my best friends we are open and we are honest we don't judge we we shame less love more um, the other wonderful gifts I have of recovery are seven soon to be nine grandchildren wow. and uh, they just know nothing but uh, Gramps. I'm I'm an okay husband. I'm a pretty good dad, but I'm a dang good granddad. Yeah. And uh, yeah. A, a couple years ago, our oldest two grandchildren, we were taking them to McDonald's. Kelly and I, and uh, they were six, six and four. Right. And uh, we're driving into the McDonald's, and and they're in the back seat in their chair things, and uh, Hallie Rose goes gramps you went to jail didn't you <laughs> <laughs> i'm looking at kelly like what exactly where what? did this come from what the heck <laughs> you know uh, and i didn't know how to respond nobody ever. Re- we didn't rehearse this yeah, you know right. like what do i say <laughs> yeah yeah i went to jail yeah i did i'm just trying to pass it off like and i'm looking at kelly like what is going on here and then she followed up with uh why'd you go to jail gramps <laughs> and before I could answer that, her younger brother, four, Blake, says, you did drugs, didn't you, Gramps?" <laughs> I'm just thinking, gee, Adam and Natalie, you guys are not holding anything back, mm-hmm. which is cool, right? Yeah. And uh, all I could come up with to answer that was I was pretty sick. Yeah. You know, and looking back, Todd, yeah.
0: yeah.
1: I'm not a bad guy. I wasn't a bad guy. Sure. I did some stupid and bad things. Mm-hmm. But you and I work in the business where, yeah. yeah, we're not dealing with bad people. We're dealing with people like me, that, that were pretty sick, yeah. And uh, and so, but it's it's just fun. Well,
0: and I can I add, and, and I'm not trying to simplify this because I know it's way more complicated at times, but like, and the and the cure is love. Like, think about it. What you just said there, dude. Like, even your story, like. You're you're you were you're rebelling against. No one cares about me. I don't even care about me, and you're blowing up your life. And then you hear these words. I, I I told you later. I love you, and just the word love. It was almost like that's what you have been waiting for forever. And and you were ready in that moment. and That's when you went. I'm not going back. I mean, it's just I don't know. That's pretty
1: pretty yeah. freaking cool. That that light bulb went on. I met at AA meeting years ago, Man. and uh, I'm still struggling with this being loved, this ability to be loved. And you know, in order to be loved, you got to do all the right things all the right time. Right. Some old timer comes up to me after the meeting and says, uh, knowing I'm struggling with this concept of God and love, he says, Christian, you got four kids, right? I said, sure, I do. He says, is there anything any of those kids could do that would stop you from loving them? And my immediate response was, heck no. He pressed me for a little bit. Are you sure about that? And pressed me. And I, I, I was thinking of our third child, and I hope she hears this, because we have a little fun in our family. Sarah's crazy. She's nuts. She is, if you got one of those, if you ever have a tough kid, you know, Sarah fits the mold. She's defiant at the time. She's mm-hmm. now a mother of soon to be two uh-huh. um, and, and fabulous. But as an adolescent, she was you know, if she. If you say, "Why don't you turn right?" She would deliberately turn left. Your curfew is midnight. She would come home at two. Just pushing the buttons, and so my mind <laughs> caught up when he's pressing me. You know, no, I'm, I'm familiar with frustration as a dad and disappointment, yeah. but no, there's nothing my kids could do to stop me from loving them. And I'm, I'm not certain where he's going with this until he goes. Hey, Christian. Couldn't, couldn't there be a God? that could feel that same way about that God's kids just loves them because they're his kids, not because they do or don't do anything. Yeah. And, and that opened the door. Well, wait a minute, if that's true. And it felt like it was that maybe I needed to reinvent my God to have a God who just says, you're my son, brother. I love you. There's nothing you can do to stop me from loving you. Yeah. And that opened the door for me to, to reinvest in that relationship. And that's when I fired that God I knew as a young man and, and that God I have now. I'm certain that uh, that, that God says, you know, you, you're, you sure do some silly things, Smith, but I sure love you. love <laughs> you. Wow. And, I love and that. That's amazing. The idea of perfection, that's nonsense.
0: Yeah, it is nonsense. Wow, Christian, thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, story with us very profound, very heart wrenching at times. And um, you know, you you know, one thing, you know, I've known you for a while now, just rubbing shoulders with you. You just have a good way at I, I you it seems like you don't take things too serious. Like you, you laugh at things. You're like, that's funny, even though it's yeah, it's a serious thing, but I'll laugh at it a little bit. I think again, I really do love the way you carry yourself. And I mean that wholeheartedly when I say that. Like you have a good demeanor about you. Thank you. You Thank really you, do. And I know, um, know there's some people right now that are listening to this who are struggling. I know that. I, I get too many messages that tell me so. If you could say something to someone who's listening right now, and you've already said some amazing things, but that one person right now who's in a dark place, what would you tell them right now?
1: I would probably say, uh, "Don't give up." Don't, don't give up. To that person struggling, don't give up. The only way, you know, this disease kills a lot of people. You and I go to a lot of funerals, are invited to a lot of funerals, right? But statistically, we survive. And if people just don't give up. There is there is hope, and for that family member who, who's going, I got the loved one that's kicking my butt, yeah, and who's filled with, with anger, frustration, and resent, all appropriate, you know. I would say, don't give up, but love with, with appropriate love. Yeah. You and I see, too yeah. many times when family members love our clients to death, yeah, literally, yeah, and uh, one of the. You know, Jason Coombs, who I think you've had on this podcast before, um, he tells a story that I have a similar experience with my own dad, about his dad. Went to borrow some money from my dad. as This thing's coming to a head just before he go to jail, Mm -hmm. and he leaves on the the mission. Went to borrow some money from him. And uh, he looked me in the eyes and said, Son, I vowed I would never give you another penny to enable you to continue in the behaviors that you're in. He paused for a minute and then said with tears in his eyes, I'll sell everything I have to, to get you the help you need. Now I need you to get the hell off my doorstep. That's the kind of love. I went away angry that day, like you're not a very good. Right, thanks a lot. Yeah, man. But I never, I always knew the love was there. And when the time was right, you know that that they would be there when i yeah. was ready that they they sent the message of i'm not going to enable you anymore but i love you yeah and uh wow so i don't i think to to me it's don't give up yeah don't give up great advice i love it
0: yeah <laughs> well christian if someone wanted to reach out to you and know more about what you do maybe even what you do here at wasatch recovery or they need help and they want to talk to you, I have a question for you. What would be the best way for them to
1: do that? Call me, um, face message, Facebook messenger. I'm an old guy, but, uh, if it's okay, I'll give my phone out. That's my personal it's up to cell number. It's yeah. Up to you. No, I love it. Uh, Cause I love recovery. I wouldn't wish what I went through or many of us go mm-hmm. through. I wouldn't wish it on anybody, but you need to know I wouldn't trade it for the world. I yeah. wouldn't trade it. It's how I learned who I am. Yeah. And, uh, My phone number is area code 801-870-1379. Wow. I love recovery.
0: We do change. Yep. Wow. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking some time, man, honestly, and for being vulnerable today and uh, for just, again, being you and being willing to say, hey, here's what I've been through and look where I'm at now and. You, like you said, you wouldn't trade it for the world. Yeah. yeah. I hear that all the time. It's Thanks, a beautiful God. thing, man. You're yeah. awesome. I love you. Love you too, brother. Thanks. And everyone listening to this, have we told you lately that we love you? And that's honestly the truth. I'm telling you, love is so powerful and it sounds almost corny. Oh, I love you, love you. No, no, love, I think that is the thing that a lot of times they are missing in someone who's struggling. Is It's just I need to know I'm loved. So thank you for sharing that. That just really hit me so hard. Um well, there you go folks i told you this was going to be amazing please share this with anyone in your family who may be struggling it doesn't have to be with addiction it could be just they're just struggling and christian's words will play upon their hearts and soften them and if anything re- you know maybe get them to a point where, where they might reach out to to christian so please he left his phone number please call him and uh, he does a great job here for us at wasatch recovery we're grateful to have him as part of the team He's just a great guy, and I agree with him. Don't give up. Whatever you're going through, you can change. Um, You know, that's been my own life, and I say this all the time. Addiction is the wake-up call to your greatness. It's trying to wake you up to the greatness that's in you, And, and I see this in Christian every day now. It's awesome. So, again, thanks to our sponsors. You guys are fantastic, and, you know, I love you guys. And once again, Christian, thank you so much for your time today. You're welcome.